This conference will now be recorded. According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Today we are finishing Hebrews chapter 12. So join me in Hebrews chapter 12. And I promise you we will finish the chapter. If I have to keep you here till midnight, I will keep talking into this camera until we finish verses 28 and 29. We receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken. And we do receive that kingdom. The kingdom is not on this earth yet, but we do receive it. Because we understand that you and I function in the heavenly places in Christ. That we enter within the veil, which is in the heavenly places. That we are seated at Christ's right hand, even as he is seated at the Father's right hand. And so hopefully the book of Hebrews is helping us to consider our spiritual priesthood. And if we haven't learned that lesson yet through the first 12 chapters, uh, we're going to get some very practical um, benefits in chapter 13. We're going to learn about our priesthood and the offerings that we bring, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name and uh so forth that we don't we're not bringing goats or sheep we're not butchering animals we're not splattering blood everywhere that we enter within the veil based upon the blood of jesus christ his once and for all sacrifice and now in him we stand before the father and that's the uh, the power of our priesthood we have we do receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken and so we must show gratitude all right, God is spirit. He must be worshiped in spirit and in truth. Let's bow before him and ask for his blessing in prayer that he might open the eyes of our understanding. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we thank you for the blessing we have to assemble together. We thank you for the priesthood that we have in Christ, for the blessings that are a part of our uh, heritage. As church-age believer priests, Father, we are not Old Testament Jews. We are not Old Testament Gentiles. We are believer priests of the church age, whereby we are baptized into union with Jesus Christ. We identify with his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, his session, his priestly function before you. We thank you for these identifications, Father, that he is the apostle and high priest of our confession. And so as you've been teaching us this marvelous truth, I pray that you continue to open our eyes, open our ears, soften our hearts, lead us in these things. We thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. You know, the more that we come to understand the mystery and the more that that understanding gives us a full assurance, then we will be embracing and apprehending the infinite wealth that we have as church age believer priests. And this is uh, it's such a joy to me that we're getting these lessons right now in Colossians chapter two in the 930 hour. And on Wednesday night, we're getting those lessons in the Colossians series at the same time now, just marvelously fitting together like a hand in a glove as we uh, combine this together with Hebrews and the book of Hebrews that we've been in for, I don't know how long we've been in Hebrews now, a couple years, more than that, three years. It's, um, I can pull up the website and double check myself. 
when you have a poor memory like I do, the website is a blessing. <laughs> and so you find out what uh, what lesson you have in the in the book of Hebrews. And uh, this morning is number 134. All right, so that answers that question. 134 lessons when you only get 52 a year at most uh, means we've, we're over two years and in, in, into our third year now in the, in the book of Hebrews. And so we're learning about our priesthood. We, we're learning about rest. We're learning about priestly function. We're learning about all these things at, uh, that are ours as church age believer priests. And so now, um, to, to tie together the details out of chapter 12, You see, we've done a lot in this chapter, but as we get to uh, verses 28 and 29, last week we were in verse 27, and keying in on an expression, yet once more, yet once more, and uh, there's only one, there's only one coming day of the Lord, there's only one coming uh, cataclysmic cosmic change, that in the uh, the plan of God it is linear. It is from Alpha to Omega, and it is a linear plan. It is uh, it is at odds with uh, Satan's lies and the false religions of this world. It's at odds with most other religions and their uh, faulty approach to uh, to life, the universe, and everything. It's a uh, you know when you if you want to be a Buddhist or a Hindu. Uh, so any of these other religions, a lot of worldviews have a secular view that everything's just going over and over and over. The wheel of time spins and here we go again. And uh, and uh, that that circular view is not the biblical view. The biblical view is that there was an eternity past where it was only God. And then there was an alpha moment. And then every moment since then has been linear. It's been after the alpha moment. And it's headed in one direction. And we can't stop it. We can't turn it back. We can't go backwards. It is headed for an omega moment. And beyond that omega moment, it will be more than just God. It will be us. It will be God and those who love Jesus Christ. And uh, along the way, of course, there's uh, there's angels in their stewardship. There's Gentiles in their stewardship. There's Jews in their stewardship. There's the church where we are now and our stewardship. There's a coming fullness of time, new heavens, new earth, and they have to finish their uh, purpose for a thousand generations until we reach the omega moment. And then that omega moment, we cross into what's called the eternity future. And uh, beyond that, we don't know. The Bible doesn't take us there. But this is what the Bible takes us to on a linear basis moving forward. And so when the author of Hebrews keys in on a phrase out of Haggai, and he keys in on yet once more, he's spotlighting that there there was a destruction. And there have been at various times shakings of the earth. There was a shaking of the earth when the law was given at Sinai. There was a greater shaking of the earth in the days of Uzziah, a shaking of the earth that was so famous that it was spoken of centuries later as the earthquake in the days of Uzziah. And there have been a number of earthquakes. There will be more. There are going to be such increasing earthquakes uh, as the tribulation approaches that the whole world is going to get freaked out. And I think we can relate to that now because we see the whole world freaked out over over a Chinese virus, all right? 
Well, this is nothing compared to what's on the way in the tribulation. And when God, in the in the cataclysmic cosmic change, when he shakes not only the earth, but the heavens, everything becomes destroyed. And uh, all matter in the universe is converted to energy. Everything is consumed in great heat. And every molecule of matter becomes energy at that point. And then he will introduce us to the new heavens and the new earth in which only righteousness dwells. No sin, no death, no darkness, no unbeliever. Only the righteous will cross into the new heavens and the new earth. And so we, we dealt with that last week. We talked about it. And we realize that the things that can be shaken are going to give way to the unshakable. And based upon our position now as elements of the new creation, we realize we're already there. Our new nature is already there. That if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. So the new creation that we are in Christ, our new nature as believers in the church age, that will not be destroyed. It cannot be shaken. This body will will be corrupted and, and buried and, and consumed. But this uh, this body is not my new nature. My new nature will be clothed in a new body. And that's what we will have for all eternity. The presently created things are shakable, subject to corruption. The new creation is unshakable, not subject to corruption. So Jesus Christ, as the firstborn of all creation, when he created everything, he created everything shakable. And that was by design, because the shakable creation was intended to take only the redeemed into the unshakable creation. And that's what's on the way. The new heavens and the new earth are on the way, and there is no decay, there is no death, there is no corruption. Entirely new laws of thermodynamics will be at work. And so that's what we dealt with in verse 26 and 27, and now we're ready to take a look at verses 28 and 29. And you say, okay, pastor, that's nice. We uh, we we have received, we are looking forward to this. And it it is something to look forward to. But besides looking forward, we're also looking uh, at ourselves. We're also looking at the here and now. We don't want to be so earthly, uh, heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. We recognize that, okay, the the day of the Lord is coming. The the cosmic cataclysm is on the way. But, you know, it's going to be quite a while still. We got time. We can uh, we can neglect things. We can be like the foolish virgins and not uh, not have any oil on hand. We can go carnal. No. See, here's the thing. Every lesson we ever learn about imminency, every lesson we ever learn about diligence uh, comes into focus. And the author of Hebrews does it through this way. The author of Hebrews, not only does he say the shaking is is going to happen, but he then says we already now receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken it takes the future guaranteed promise but brings it to a present urgent application right it's the same thing second peter does where according to his promise we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells that's the forward-looking promise it will happen someday but then it's brought into a present urgent application Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, 
be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so people who get bored with prophecy, they're missing the point. They're getting information about what's coming up or what's down the road or what's on the way, things that will happen someday. And they fail to make the connection that what's happening someday better uh, motivate us, orient us to what we're doing now, that the here and now uh, requires urgency. And so Peter does that in Second Peter 3, the verse that I cite at the beginning of every Bible class. And then the author of Hebrews is doing that here. So there's a shakable kingdom that is coming. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's still a coming kingdom, and uh, the will is not being done on earth like, like it's being done in heaven, but you and I are already in heaven. You and I are the heavenly creation. You and I are already transferred into this kingdom. We saw this in Colossians, that we've been transferred from the domain of darkness and delivered into the kingdom of his beloved son. And so while our bodies are still here and we dwell here as soldiers and ambassadors and uh, believer priests in exile, we actually function in the heavenly places. And so the author of Hebrews admits that and says, since we receive, present tense, therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken and we receive it, we keep on receiving it, we continuously receive it. I can double check myself on this and make sure it is a present active participle, and it is. So therefore, kingdom cannot be shaken. We keep on receiving. Parlamentus. There we have it. All right. And so we keep on receiving this kingdom which cannot be shaken. This is almost like the Great Commission all over again. So we take uh, we take our participles. And we put them in tandem with our imperative. And the imperative is be grateful, show gratitude. So uh, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, since we continuously are presently now receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude. And the imperative is expressed here as uh, as a first person plural. Let us do this. We want to do this. It's uh, exhortative, cohortative, as we are going to be showing gratitude together, collectively. This is not just one individual believer who's happy to be saved. This is a body. This is a, uh, a confession. Remember, Jesus Christ is the author. He is the, uh, I'm sorry, he is the apostle and high priest of our confession. And so as believer priests... Uh, as members of this confession, we join together uh, with one another in our local church and with the entire body of Christ in the heavenly places, with Jesus Christ as our head, and we show gratitude. And how do we show gratitude? You know, there's different different ways to show gratitude. Do we uh, we can uh, we can send uh, we can send a Hallmark card, and that might show gratitude. We might say thank you, and that's a verbal gratitude. We might um, there's there's lots of ways to demonstrate gratitude, and and really it's the demonstration more than the say so that that uh, <laughs> has an increased value. You know, if you can tell somebody I love you, but then if you never show it in any way, 
that person might uh, have reason to be skeptical or they might doubt or they might wonder, yeah, uh, how much do you love me or what have you done for me lately or, or so forth. Anyway, not to get on that. But showing gratitude is more than saying thank you. And showing gratitude is defined in this passage as functioning in our priesthood, as operating as believer priests in the church age. And so and it's curious. It doesn't say show gratitude by uh, evangelizing. It doesn't say show gratitude by witnessing. It doesn't stress the ambassadorial function as the showing gratitude. Not here. You can get that in other passages. It doesn't talk about our soldier function. It doesn't say put on your armor and resist the devil and take up the shield of faith and grab the sword of the spirit. The armor passage, it's an important passage, and our show, our soldier function is a vital function. But this passage, when it says, let us show gratitude, receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, the gratitude is demonstrated in our priestly function. Offering, sacrificing, lifting up before God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. So it's the priestly function that is stressed and emphasized. Okay. Now, having said that, um, I should give one little caveat. Uh, evangelism is also a priestly function. Okay. It is an ambassadorial function, but it is also a priestly function. You minister as a sacrifice those that you are uh, leading to, to faith in Christ and seeing saved. When you give the gospel and someone gets saved, that is also a priestly function. So it's, uh, the ambassadorial ship is also a priestly function. I just wanted to say that. Okay. Anyway, for our God is a consuming fire, not our God will destroy everything with fire someday. Our God is a consuming fire now, right here, right now, all the time, always has been, always will be, and always is now. In every is, in every now, for every generation, uh, God is the I am, and the I am is a consuming fire. Okay? And so, in a sense... When everything is consumed by fire, when everything, when all matter in the universe is consumed, even the elements themselves are consumed. So no more hydrogen, no more helium, no more uh, anything. All The whole periodic table becomes simplified at that point. It all becomes zero. It all becomes nothing. There is no matter at this point. And everything is consumed in the... Uh, in God himself, really, in uh, we're back to a, an existence as it was before the alpha moment when uh, everything is uh, is uh, is just God by himself. And then new heavens, new earth. And we get to go forth into that new into that new creation. All right. More on that in some future studies. But let's understand here. Priestly service is done in gratitude. Priestly service to God must be done in gratitude. And so uh, with reverence and awe, and we'll break these down. Priestly service to God must be done in gratitude. This is why legalism is such an obstacle. Legalism is at its core ungrateful. Legalism is the antithesis of grace. In grace, you have a grace 
appreciation and a grace expression of that appreciation called gratitude. And I love the term gratitude because unlike thankful, uh, the English word thankful comes from uh, something different, entirely different than the uh, the term grateful. Uh, grateful and gratitude all come from gratuitous, uh, gratis, uh, gracious, all of the the uh, the stem of words that that center on the grace of God, and so um, that's part of what we get for being a being a, a bastard language that we are. English is a is a clay and iron language that is a hybrid of uh, of Latin elements and Germanic elements, and uh, that blend of iron and clay is uh, prophetically significant, but it is linguistically um, problematic because we have we have this uh, we usually have there's typically multiple ways to say the same thing you can say grateful and you can say thankful and uh, when you find those multiple ways to say the same thing it's pretty normal that uh, one of those origins is going to be uh latin or it's going to be classical latin and greek it's going to be that iron heritage and then uh, the other element is going to be the clay heritage of our germanic uh, forefathers so Anyway, that's a that's a whole different issue right there. We can study Daniel two someday, if uh, if you want more on that. So it must be done in gratitude. It can't be done. We're not uh, in legalism. We're not earning anything. We're not functioning as priests so that we earn anything at all. And we're not. It's not works. It's not merit. We're not offering up priestly service so that God owes us something. That well, I've. I've offered, I've done 30 Hail Marys since last week, and, and that must earn me something. Um, that's legalism. That's relig- That's Roman religion. That's, that's, uh, that's not the priesthood we have in Christ. It is done in gratitude, not to earn or deserve a thing. And so uh, we're going to see this just as a preview because it's coming up in uh, Hebrews 13. One of the sacrifices that we're going to have coming up in Hebrews 13 and verse 15. By the way, there's going to be other sacrifices along the way, even before we get to verse 15. There's going to be an altar we're going to eat at. There's going to be uh, uh, foods, that uh, the spiritual foods, not the earthly foods. There's going to be even in your marriage, in, uh, in your hospitality, in uh, all these early verses. Uh, being free from the love of money. These are all priestly functions as well. These are priestly attitudes and perspectives that uh, introduce us to this concept. And then we get to the specific sacrifices in verses 15 and following. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And that's our sacrifice. And we just wipe our heads and say, thank you, Lord. We're not bringing a goat. We're not bringing a sheep. We're not butchering an animal. We're not sprinkling blood everywhere. We're not separating entrails from fatty portions, from lobes, from kidneys, and uh, and all of that. Uh, That's all Old Testament shadow doctrine that was looking forward to its fulfillment in Christ. You and I function in the fulfillment. We operate in the substance, not the shadows. And in the substance, we get to uh, enter within the veil and stand before the Father and thank him. The fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. 
the sacrifice of praise. And so there's one element of it. There's also doing good. That's another priestly function. Sharing. That's another priestly function. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. With such sacrifices, God is pleased. That makes it a sweet-smelling savor. That means it goes up before the Father, and he, it's, he smells it, and it is the acceptable sacrifice for our priesthood in Christ. What a glory. So stay tuned for that. And then it says, obey your leaders. And there are uh, some commentaries, actually, that that include that within the, the sacrifices. I think we get past the sacrifices that obey and pray is a, is a different issue there. But we'll talk about that when we get to chapter 13. With gratitude. So if you're not grateful, if you can't state anything you're grateful for, that's a problem. Um, I mean, that, that needs to be a, a red flag of some kind of carnality. Ask yourself, Lord, why am I not thankful right now? Why can't I name a single thing I'm thankful for? Because the word of God tells me, be thankful for everything. and everything, give thanks. Now, rejoice always and everything, give thanks. If I can't do that or if I'm not doing that, if I find myself in a non-grateful attitude, then uh, that's that's pretty much a guarantee that I'm not spiritual at the moment. I'm walking in the darkness. I'm carnal. I need to adjust that and uh, find what needs to be confessed and confess it and uh, search me and ask God to search me and confess everything I can remember and think of and uh, and and even also confessing my lack of gratitude because if uh, in everything give thanks as an order and I'm not doing that, then that's a sin of omission. So I need to confess my ingratitude and to add that to the list of things I'm confessing so that I can be restored to fellowship, cleansed from all unrighteousness, and return to my priestly function. Because priestly service to God must be done in gratitude. How about Psalm 50? Psalm 50. And um, this is a psalm of Asaph. And uh, speaking, uh, listening to the voice of God as the mighty one, God, Yahweh, the Lord, has spoken, summoned the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. And so, you know, this is everybody is being summoned in this way. Uh, the whole earth from rising to setting. So that's that's everybody. It's not. In other words, this is not peculiar to Israel. This is not limited to a Jewish call to worship. This is not limited to, I mean, even technically, even a human call to worship, uh, that the angels are on hand to uh, as witnesses of heaven and earth. And uh, so that the mighty one has spoken, we better pay attention. It's a call to worship. Anyway, we get down to verse 14, and you'll see the emphasis on this. But here's what God is saying. This is how God wants to be worshipped. Um, how much of this do I want to read? Let's see. All right, so the mighty one, God, the Lord has spoken and summoned the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God has shown forth. And I take that to be the heavenly Zion, the Zion we studied in Hebrews chapter 12. From his very throne, from the presence of his glory in uh, the third heaven. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God has shown forth. May our God come and not keep silence. May our God come and not keep silence. And, of course, there's a first advent 
element to that with uh, God with us, uh, with uh, Emmanuel, may our God come. But then there's also a second Advent element with that, with our God come and not keep silence. I think uh, it's hard to, to peg which Advent we're talking about here until we read fire devours before him. Okay, well, that's not the manger. <laughs> that's not the baby in Bethlehem. All right, so uh, our God come and not keep silence. This is primarily looking forward to a second advent arrival of Jesus Christ. Fire devours before him. It is very tempestuous around him. And so as a call to worship, it is not uncommon for a call to worship to reference that our God is a consuming fire, that uh, come before him with reverence and awe. That uh, our God is thundering and he and fire devours before him. It is very temptuous around him. So do we want to be here? This is the point. When 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 Sinai was shaking and when there was fire and great fear, Israel backed off and they said, Moses, go up there, come back, tell us what he says. But you and I, we we we're, we're in Mount Zion right now. We function in the heavenly places right now. And this fire before him right now, our God is a consuming fire. So he summons the heavens above and the earth to judge his people. So it's just heavens and the earth now. So now we know we definitely get to include the angels. Gather my godly ones to me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Ah, so now there's a particular judgment. Gather my godly ones to me. So he's summoning heavens above and the earth to judge his people. Judgment begins with the house of the Lord. This is not only a call to worship, but this is a uh, the opening notification that the wilderness judgment of Israel is about to be convened. And the Jewish people are going to be uh, brought under the rod of the covenant. This is uh, a call to worship that will precede Ezekiel chapter 20. Those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Perfect in the Old Testament, we know that from our standpoint, all judgment is given to the Son and to his bride. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I do not reprove you for your sacrifices, and your burnt offerings are continually before me. So they've been religious. They've been bringing their sacrifices. He was not going to reprove them for that. I shall take no young bull out of your house, nor male goats out of your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. He's not accepting the gifts from them because he needs them. He's not accepting the animals they offer because he's 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 short on he's short on bulls, he's short on goats, you know, he's running uh he's running low on bulls and goats, and so it's a good thing Israel brings all these bulls and goats to him. That's not the point. The point is he doesn't need their sacrifices. He does not need their sacrifices. When we worship, God doesn't need our worship, but he is blessed when he receives our worship. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. So here's God, and God is addressing Israel in uh, in Psalm 50. And he is reminding them of principles so they don't get confused between their religion and their faith, between their ritual and their reality. So don't don't uh, think that just bringing sacrifices is sufficient. If the attitude is wrong, then the sacrifice is worthless. He says, I know every bird of the mountains 
and everything that moves in the fields is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that it contains. If I were hungry, you know, like if God was a finite being that had appetites, that had hungers, that had uh, had a need, then uh, if that was the case, which it's not because God needs nothing, but even if it was the case, he wouldn't tell them. What are they? A drop in the bucket compared to God. For the world is mine and all it contains. Shall I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of male goats? No. Is that why we bring animals? Is that why Israel brought animals in the Old Testament so that God, the hungry God could eat? No, they killed the animals. And then for most of the sacrifices, the priests and the Levites would eat. And they would fellowship with the offers, with the offerers who were also there to eat. He goes on to say, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Now, that's a different issue, one that was much more common in the Old Testament than the New. Back to the New Testament, we're told, don't make a vow. Just let your yes be yes and your no, no, because we, we function in the substance, not the shadows. But there were a lot of vows in the uh, dispensation of shadows. And um, there were vows uh, related to, uh, to, uh, to different things. Samson and others were under these Nazarite vows, which was uh, a way to intensify their, uh, their shadows and their understanding. All right, so that's verse 14. Uh, but you see the thanksgiving. You see the attitude of gratitude. Pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me. In the day of trouble, I shall rescue you. You will honor me. I'm going to head down to verse 23. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to tell of my statutes and to take my covenant in your mouth? You notice a lot of religious people are grouped with the wicked. And a lot of wicked people inject themselves into religious groups. And to the wicked who decide that they're going to go to seminary, they're going to become pastors, and they're going to write books, and they're going to uh, try to shape uh, 21st century theology, theological movements, um, they're not even saved. But they have this desire. Why are so many seminaries full of uh, gays and lesbians? Why are so many um, gays and lesbians trying to inject themselves into uh, pulpits and become pastors in all these ways? You know, how about if you just start reading your Bible and hum- humble yourself under the, the word of God? Start with that. For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. When you see a thief, you are pleased with him and you associate with adulterers. You're so dazzled by the sinners that get away with their sin and uh, and you honor them. You're pleased with them. You you uh, you want to be them. You let your mouth loose and evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. And this uh, this is the modern counseling movement right there, talking evil of uh, family members. These things you have done, and I kept silence. You thought it was that I was just like you. See, this is what happens. You get involved in religion, and you reframe God in your image instead of uh, humbling yourself in the image of God. I will reprove you and state the case in order before your eyes. So when uh, Israel gets judged, it will be very unpleasant for the wicked. He, he is going to be removing the wicked. They will not be brought under the bond of the covenant. 
that uh, the rebels will be purged and every unbelieving Jew will be cast into hell before the millennial kingdom. Only believers enter the millennium. Now consider this, you who forget God, or I will tear you in pieces and there will be none to deliver. He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. Okay, so consider this. And I and I think this parallel of the poetry here that, that parallels you who forget God with he who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. That proper worship, proper sacrifices, the appropriate gratitude that shapes our priestly function, that is uh, is the best way in the world to not forget God, to be ever mindful of, of our creator, redeemer, savior, our, our uh, the consuming fire that is our Lord. So he who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me, and to him who orders his way aright, I shall show the salvation of God. We get phase two salvation um, in our priesthood as we are sacrificing the uh, the thanksgiving to God. All right, Psalm 6930. I will praise the name of God with song and magnify him with thanksgiving. And so our uh, priestly service might be musical. Our priestly service might be prayerful. Our priestly service might be um, service of some type. It might be teaching. Uh, when the pastor is teaching Bible class, like right now, this is priestly service. It's being done in gratitude uh, for all that Jesus Christ has done for us. Same thing when we sing a hymn. It's a priestly service. It's done in gratitude. Same thing when we're uh, when the treasurer is opening the mail and pulling the checks out and and uh, tabulating the the deposits. That is a priestly service to God. It's done in gratitude. Uh, when the nursery worker is changing diapers, it is a priestly service to God if it's done in gratitude. All of these things that we do are done in gratitude. When the when the property deacon is trying to figure out the clawed uh, detention pond, and he's mucking up as he's crawling around in the muck of the of the uh, of the thing and, and finding the blockage and and uh, that's you can crawl around in the muck in gratitude, and that's the priestly service to God. Here in Psalm 69 is music. I will praise the name of God with song and magnify him with thanksgiving. And the best part about this is we're not given a formula. We're not told what song to sing. We're not told you have to recite these incantations. You can write your own song. Make up your own lyrics. Make up your own melody. Make up your own hymn, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And as you, uh, as, as your creativity designs the thanksgiving, the, uh, the creator is, uh, is blessed because we are reflecting his image in that creativity. Psalm, um, and it will please the Lord better than an ox or a young bull with horns and hoofs. This is the thing. The hard attitude is better than the prescribed ritual. Psalm 107 verses 21 and 22. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Let them also offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his works with joyful singing. And so in Psalm 107, it's curious to me, the um, the rebels that are going to cry out here. There's a lot here. There's a lot of angelic conflict in this uh, Psalm, Psalm 107. And uh, I spent a lot of time in Psalm 50. 
And uh, Psalm 107's got some marvelous human and angelic applications. But God is satisfying the thirsty soul, the hungry soul. He is filled with what is good. Those who dwelt in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery and chains. And yet the Most High God has delivered them. Fools because of their rebellious ways. Oh, this is a marvel. I can get lost in this psalm and spend the whole hour here. Um, but let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of man. We are saved by the grace of God, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. How can we not express our thankfulness all day, every day? Let's see if there was one final thing here to share in Psalm 107. I guess I won't. But waterless places, a pathless ways. There's there's some things there. Stay tuned. I want to get into that in our future study. Uh, of course, First Thessalonians 5.18. Rejoice always and everything give thanks. And we have this trinity here. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing and everything give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is all priestly function. In joy, in prayer, in, in rejoicing, in uh, thanksgiving, we see this. This is a uh, this is a great tandem to go with Hebrews 13 that we're going to be seeing next week. So, in everything, give thanks. Now, don't be dumb about it. Okay, <laughs> you know if um, it's it's in the Lord that we rejoice, and it's the will of God that we rejoice. And we're not celebrating. You get some, you get some bad news. You get some uh, um, you get you get a thing of bad news that says, "Hey, I got a cancer diagnosis. Can I give thanks for the cancer? Am I thankful that I have cancer, or do I say, thank you, Father, that you've tested me in this capacity?' You understand that that with His purpose, working all things together for good, I can be thankful for the cancer. I can be thankful for bad things. I can be thankful for the loss of a loved one." For a family member who dies, I can be thankful for a family member with coronavirus, whatever the case. Because I know that the God who is ultimate goodness, no perfect gift, I mean, it all comes down from God. And if he's assigned this, then it's going to work together for good. And I'm going to learn something, and my family's going to learn something, and my church is going to learn something. And uh, even my enemies are going to learn something. So uh, thank you. Wow. This is an opportunity now to... Continue in my priesthood and glorify Jesus Christ. Must be done in gratitude with reverence and awe. And so we got some good verses containing uh, reverence and awe that we can look at as well. Psalm 211. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son that he not become angry and you perish in the way. Remember, our God is a consuming fire. And so worship him, rejoice in him with trembling, do homage. So we're thankful, but we're also fearful, reverence and awe. We're doing homage, and we don't want that kindled fire. His wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. So a fire of judgment is on the way, and our God is the consuming fire. And what's our answer? Run to the fire. In, you know, enter within his embrace. It's, uh, in a sense, we're all Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. We're all in the fire. And the fourth man in the fire is with us. It's uh, take refuge in the fire. Don't run from the fire. Take refuge in the fire. Our God, the consuming fire. 
So we should have reverence and awe before him. Psalm 89, 7. A God greatly feared in the counsel of his holy ones. When you read Psalm 89, this is a uh, masculine of Ethan the Ezraite. And um, this is all angelic, this whole psalm. I will sing of the loving kindness of the Lord forever. To all generations I will make known your faithfulness with my mouth. For I have said loving kindness will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. So do both parts of that poetry refer to David? Or is my chosen one, the greater son of David, is Christ? And then, of course, David is uh, David. I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. The heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the holy ones. And so this is the divine council. This is the heavenly setting for the uh, the angels, the archangels, the Elohim, the B'nai Ha'Elohim, the uh, Elim, the gods and the sons of gods. This is all an angelic text, especially, you know, five and following here, all centered on the angels. For who in the skies is comparable to the Lord? Not that rebel who said, I will be like the most high God, that rebel Satan who said, I will be like him. That rebel and the third of the angels that followed that rebel, none of them. And this is a taunt. Who in the skies is comparable to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty is like the Lord? So which angel, which created angel is like the most high God? Yahweh. None of them. A God greatly feared in the council of the holy ones. And awesome above all those who are around him. Can you imagine to stand in the presence of God? Gabriel said, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. And the glory of that fire was such. I think most angels didn't get near that close. But uh, there are seven. Seven spirits of God that stand in his immediate presence around his throne. And uh, Gabriel was one such of the mighty ones. All right, there's more to that. I can get lost in Psalm 89 if I'm not careful. Uh, Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66, the last book, the last chapter of Isaiah, it's comparable to the last book of the Bible. It's like the Old Testament equivalent to Revelation, if you will. Isaiah is like a mini Bible in 66 chapters. And so we get the new heavens and the new earth here in Isaiah 66. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me, and where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. And thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit, and who trembles at my word. So don't worry about a big fancy temple or a big fancy church building, which we can't go to now anyway. But the real, the real, um, uh, aspect of what gets God's attention where he will look to us and answer our prayers and bless us and provide is to the humble and contrite of spirit who trembles. That's the fear of the Lord. This is reverence and awe being spoken of. The humble and contrite of spirit who trembles at my word. Sacrifices are one thing. 
worship and reverence is another. And so we get past verses 3 and 4 and 5. Notice in verse 5, Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Tremble. You know, are we? do we have this kind of fear? Do we come to church and, you know, we, we do, we stop, we open in prayer because we want to make sure we're in fellowship so we confess whatever sin that we have if we're out of fellowship. And I get that when you're driving and off to traffic to come to church. But if all you're doing is walking over to the computer screen and firing up the go-to-meeting, um, you know, you, you probably should be in fellowship already. And But use the silent prayer time, though. Use that to tremble. Use that to tremble. Take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. Tremble before the Lord your God in reverence and awe. And just in that silent prayer, just realize the creator God of the universe is about to speak. He's about to talk to you. He has something to tell you today. And some of it is not pleasant, but you better be humble to receive it. And he might rebuke you. He might correct you. He might encourage you. He might, all these things are all, everything all at once. With reverence and awe. It's not just, I'm going to church today. The creator God of the universe is speaking. Let him who has an ear, let him hear. God is speaking. And so the voice of the Lord, hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. If you don't have the fear and trembling, I don't think you can even hear. What What are you really listening to? It's with humility you can receive the word implanted that's able to save your soul. All right. And so there we have it. All right. Reverence and awe. Philippians 2.12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't say live out your Christian walk with as many Bible classes as you can attend. Okay. Don't get me wrong. Go to Bible class. But it says, with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you. So be in fear and trembling when you're in Bible class. Have fear and trembling when you're living out the word of God. Have fear and trembling in your priesthood. Have fear and trembling in your ambassadorship. Have fear and trembling in all that you do. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Are you, uh, you know, is your work day different? when the boss is missing (laughs) we're all telecommuting now we're all working from home and uh but you know the um there's different shifts at work and 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 i always loved the c shift the night shift working 11 to 7 you know because the brass wasn't around (laughs) when he worked seven to three man the, the 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 not only is the sergeant there but the lieutenant the captain the major the sheriff i mean all the top brass they're all working seven to three and some of them are, are even working after three. They're working three to 11. And then the shift is different when the boss is there. But hey, you work the 11 to seven shift. Woohoo! The brass is gone for the night. And you got, yeah, you probably got a sergeant, but he's cool. And, and you can work with him because he's he's got the same attitude you've got. The brass is gone. And uh, or if he's on vacation or whatever. They, and so it makes a difference in the workplace if the boss is there or the boss is gone. Well, what about in our work, in working out your salvation with fear and trembling? 
because it is God who is at work in you. The boss is here, <laughs> okay? <laughs> it is God who is at work in you. There better be some fear and trembling in every work that we do, in teaching this Bible class, in 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 uh, in anything that we do in the spiritual realm. That uh, I'm about to engage in a spiritual activity, and it's God who's at work in me. I am yoked to Jesus Christ. God is at work within me. There's there better be a reverence and an awe. I shouldn't just approach a spiritual work assignment with a lackadaisical attitude, acting like, oh well, you know, I got this, and this is this is a breeze, and I can preach another class. I've, I've preached 6,000 already, uh, or not quite, 5,900 or whatever. And, and just assume, because I've done it so many times, that this next one is just going to be a breeze and, and just a cakewalk and coast through it. Every single spiritual ministry, it's God who's at work in you to willing to do of his good pleasure. God is present. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory that we're going to see in Colossians chapter 2. It's Christ. The life that I now live, I live by faith. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The consuming fire lives in me. Our God is a consuming fire. And so with reverence and awe, let's uh, let's function in our priesthood. So work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 1 Peter 1.17 If you address as father, don't you? We all do, right? We had a prayer time right before I started this recording. See, if you're watching on YouTube or you're watching the recording or listening to the MP3 or what have you, if you weren't with us live this morning on GoToMeeting, we started with a prayer time. And before I hit record, when we were off, we weren't being recorded yet, and all the cameras were still up, and we had all the the church members were logged in. Okay, we got 43 now. We had however many at that time. We were uh, we were praying, and uh, as we were praying, we all addressed the Father. This is what we do in prayer. It says, "If you address as Father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, is that who you're praying to? Is that who you are?" Is that who you are praying to? The one who impartially judges according to each one's work. In other words, in other words, the one who consumes everything in fire. Because it's fire that evaluates your gold, silver, precious stones, and it's fire that evaluates your wood, hand, stubble. So we're going in prayer to the uh to the consuming fire. If you address his father, the consuming fire. The one who impartially judges according to each one's work. Conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. This whole life. And I don't care if you're, uh, we got uh, Jim Benson with us this morning. He's uh, he's pushing 90. And happy birthday, by the way, as uh, Jim Benson's got a birthday this week. Um, 89. Okay. And even if you live to be 89 or you live to be whatever. It's just a time of stay. It's just a brief sojourning. It is a temporary, and it's nothing when we've been there 10,000 years bright, shining as the sun. It's going to make 89 years on this earth just seem like nothing. The time of your stay on earth. Conduct yourselves in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold 
from your Ecclesiastes way of life. You were redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He paid the ultimate price. He paid the infinite price, the ultimate gift. He gave his son to redeem us. And so the appreciation, the gratitude, we should be trembling in reverence and awe, knowing what he purchased us with, the cost to him. See, grace is free, but it's not without cost. And the price that he paid so that we can address him as father. Are you kidding me? We get to address him as father. Yes, he's a consuming fire. And one that we address as father. Abba, Father. So priestly service must be done in gratitude with reverence and awe. Because our God is a consuming fire. And I'm so thankful. We don't fall for the the misconception, the misperception, the uh, misapplication. See, some people think that the God of the Old Testament is the one of fire and brimstone and wrath. And the God of the New Testament is the the happy, peaceful, long-haired, sissy-looking pansy Jesus with the love one another, turn the other cheek kind of um, insanity. All right, dump that. It's the same God in both Testaments. There's only one God. And uh, the God of wrath and fire and brimstone, the consuming fire, guess what? He's also in the New Testament as well. And even the the uh, humble laid aside his privileges um Jesus, Lamb of God, is still a consuming fire simply because he chose to humble himself. Don't confuse humility with weakness. Don't confuse kenosis with um, complacency or uh, permissiveness or something soft. Okay, our God is a consuming fire and biblical Christianity in the New Testament ought to be just as tough as nails as any Elijah uh, ministry in the Old Testament. All right. Our God is a consuming fire. And let's get through these verses before I'm out of time. Get through these verses before I'm out of time. Our God is a consuming fire. Remember Hebrews 10? That wasn't too long ago, was it? An expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire. What was this one? This one says, if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. What are we going to do? Willful defiant sin. If Israel uh, committed a willful defiant sin, they had no options. They were excluded from the priestly Levitical functions of their of their uh, worship uh, calendar. The church age is more accountable. Israel at least had a do-over. Israel at least had a day of atonement where they could reboot their uh, their clean status as a nation. We don't even have that. Our expectation is severe. A terrifying expectation of judgment. That is divine discipline in, in, temp, in present time. The fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. That fire is turned on us in the, the divine discipline of God's uh, chastisement. Hebrews 12:29. That's our that's our first today. I'm sorry. Uh, our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. How about Deuteronomy 4:24? 4, 
The Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God, a jealous God. And you better believe when the priests received, uh, when, the, when the recipients of Hebrews received this in Hebrews 12, and the author of Hebrews said, for our God is a consuming fire, this is the verse that came to their mind in Deuteronomy 4.24. The Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And, and I love it. The, the author of Hebrews did not have to finish the verse. The author of Hebrews didn't have to finish a jealous God. He left it for his readers to put two and two together. He left it for us as church age saints to uh, to identify this. The Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. You want to bring about discipline in, in your life quicker than anything? Serve another God. Serve yourself as God. Serve the God of mammon. Serve the God of health, wealth, and prosperity. Serve the God of... of uh, uh, super patriotism, serve uh, all kinds of false gods, and uh, and you'll see that consuming fire quicker than anything, because our God is a consuming fire. He is a jealous God. Isaiah sixty six fifteen. Behold, the Lord will come in fire; his chariots like the whirlwind, and it's not to give us a ride to heaven like Elijah. Elijah got caught up to heaven. No, no, this is coming to destroy everything, to render his anger with fury, his rebuke with flames of fire. The Lord will execute judgment by fire and his sword on all flesh. Those slain by the Lord will be many. And, of course, there's a tribulational judgment by fire, and then there's the post-millennial destruction of the heavens and the earth by fire. And uh, Isaiah speaks to both of them in a blended prophecy of Isaiah 65 and 66. Finally, then, 2 Peter 3. You might think that he's slow. He's not slow. And you might, don't forget that he destroyed this world once before with water. He's going to destroy the world again next time with fire. And so when the mockers come with their mocking, when we live in the midst of an unbelieving generation, when... uh, we encounter this don't forget that our god is a consuming fire the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men kept and man is god faithful because if i was god i'd have blasted this place a long time ago okay i would not i I couldn't reserve the way god reserves i'm not long suffering i should be the way god is long suffering that by the word of the Lord, the destruction is held at bay. And thank God for that. Do not let this one fact escape your notice. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow, as some count slowness, but patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. And the earth and its works will be burned up. He destroys every molecule in the universe in the process of burning up all human accomplishments. No human works will be observed. All of it burned up. Since these things are to be destroyed, again, take what is coming and then bring it to the now. We have a very present accountability now. So we have what's coming, and we have what's now is our accountability. 
Since these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Go ahead and blend that. Take that, put it side by side with um, our God as a consuming fire. <laughs> Since that's what God is, what sort of people ought we to be? Since God is a consuming fire, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. So we're cooperating. We're on board. We're, uh, we're fanning the flames because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning. And the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, See, when everything is destroyed by a fire, that's not the end of the story. Just like the death of Jesus and his burial is not the end of the story. He walks out of that empty tomb. Yes, the universe will burn up. Planet Earth is slated for destruction. But what happens after that? New heavens, a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's what we're looking forward to. And since you look for these things, be diligent. There's what's coming in the future. That's our diligence here and now. Prophecy should be so motivational to godliness. And I pray that it is. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this class. I thank you for getting us through this chapter. And 134 lessons into it. We've now completed 12 chapters. One chapter to go, Father. And uh, again, should your, Lord, should your son delay, we look forward to concluding this book and turning to Genesis in our next study. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for being patient. Thank you for being slow, as some count slowness. Teach us, Father, how to have your perspective on time and everything else. We thank you and praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.